Autism now affects 1 in 88 children, in which 1 in 54 are boys, and the prevalence figures are growing daily. Autism is the fastest growing serious developmental condition in the United States that costs a family $60,000 a year on average, while the cause receives less than 5% of the research funding of many less prevalent childhood diseases. As to date, there is no medical detection or cure for autism. Help us at the Jayzo Modcast Network change that as April is National Autism Awareness Month. We ask all of you to join us this month in honoring the boys and girls who live with this condition each and every day of their lives, in donating to a charity centered around researching and possibly finding a cure. Any amount is welcomed because chances are you personally know someone directly affected with autism. Let's come together and make a change. Hi, I'm Melissa Ridley-Elms, and I won the 2019 Open Contract Challenge from World of Myth, Jason on Dark Myth Publications. And my book, <laughs> Arthurian Things, a Collection of Poems, was published in January 2020. And so far it has received some very nice reviews, and a couple of the members of the Science Fiction Poetry Association are considering it for a nomination for an Elgin Award. So, if you're wondering, is this a real contest? It is a real contest. And if you're wondering, um, do I, should I submit? I don't know. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Well, do you want to be a published writer? Take a chance. The worst thing that can happen is you don't win. And the best thing that can happen is you do win and you publish your book. Go for it. My name is Walter G. Esselman, and I'm the winner of the 2020 Open Contract Challenge. It's real. My book, Super Horror Max, I took it to a convention this weekend and was selling it. So check it out. Dreams can come true. Hi, my name is Peggy Gerber and I'm the 2021 Open Contract Challenge Grand Prize winner. Because of this competition, I can now proudly call myself the author of the published book, Stumbling in Crazy Town. To learn more about this amazing opportunity, go to www.opencontractchallenge.com and make all your publishing dreams come true. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. I am your host, Shanna Sparks, and this is episode 174. So again, welcome to the world of MythBits. Uh, I have, I hope, an entertaining episode lined up for you today. But before we jump into that, there is some housekeeping, so let's 
run over the itinerary. Uh, first and foremost, Dark Myth Publications is gearing up for its release of Stephanie J. Bardi's poetry book, Musings from Me, due out in May. So congratulations to Miss Bardi. Uh, next up, the Dark Myth, Dark Myth Comics formally says goodbye to Christopher Harris as its acting editor-in-chief. Now that Dave is back, he will hammer out any of the details needed to bring in a new head honcho for this division. Christopher will uh, be transferring to a brand spanking new division, which I will bring up in a moment. Uh, new Wave Comics is preparing for the launch of its website at newwavecomics.com, and that is comics with an X. So New Wave, N-U-W-A-V-E, comics, C-O-M-I-X dot com. The site was designed by managing editor John Kotsis and is expected to launch the last week of April. There are only five days left for you to submit your pitches to this year's Open Contract Challenge. Go to www.opencontractchallenge.com before 11.59 Pacific Standard Time on April 30th. And good luck to everyone. Also, Myth Mart continues its weekly sales via social media. Follow and like and find out what kind of savings you're going to get every Wednesday. And talk around the JZO Modcast Network is that my public public life as an American nerd will be returning for season six with a new host yet to be revealed. Uh, but there are rumors abound that Kevin from Pastrami Nation might be the season's host. Uh, also, PCE has been delayed once again with the CVO unexpectedly unexpectedly quitting the talent agent leaving the company and the economy and the current condition it is in dave decide, decided uh the best interest to hold off closer toward the end of the year and also wanting to create a direct line with not only comic book stores but the small indie bookstores as well outsider distribution was conceived now former dark myth comics editor-in-chief Christopher Harris, see, see, uh, will head this new division. So congratulations for Christopher. And the World of Myth magazine released on the 24th. So please go ahead and get reading and vote for your favorite submissions at theworldofmyth.com. That means next week will be the review, guys. And finally, uh, as mentioned before, Dave has returned uh, from his forced sabbatical and is looking to meet with the board of directors come May to set up direction for the remainder of the 2022 year. <sighs> so see, there was news. There's lots of news. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, I think there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon for uh, everything within this company, and I'm quite excited to see what is to come, especially uh, regarding PCE and everything situated and getting situated for that. So, uh, yeah, regarding this episode, I hope I've come up with something fun. Uh, but before we get there, I really want to take a moment to appreciate uh, the Batman which just came out this past weekish on HBO Max, and I didn't see it in theaters. This is the first Batman film I haven't actually seen in theaters in, like, 
25 years. <laughs> um, you know, every every Batman film that has come out for the past since I was seven or eight, uh, since Batman and Robin, honestly, I saw in theaters. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where I was there for, for midnight showings for, you know, the, the premiere and, uh, always, always just my, my super, super, super nerdy excitement and enthrallment. Uh, then it kind of, you know, broke the monotony when, uh, we got Batfleck, which I'm not going to talk about, you know, Ben Affleck as Batman. We've got millions of opinions on that. Um, but it wasn't as, like, urgent. You know, I wasn't as excited. <laughs> so then um, Robert Pattinson, uh, you know, was announced as Batman, and I lost my bleep and got super stoked. Uh, but I didn't go see it in theaters because, honestly... The wait time between theater and digital release is a lot shorter, it seems, these days. So uh, I just waited. And it was worth it, in my opinion. Because, um, you know, I'm sure I'm going to say something that everybody has heard tirelessly before. In my opinion, it's the best. It's the best uh, iteration of, you know, uh, Batman. And I am an, like true, true... Michael Keaton is the Batman, but now I'm, like, I don't know, guys. I, I like Pattinson. Uh, but, no, I just, I really love the film. And um, it's funny because even, like, my nephew, who really never got into anything comic-inspired, any comic series, uh, he actually really likes it so I'm like okay so so we we did something I say we Matt Reeves did something very right um anyway so I just uh, needed to nerd out on that for a heartbeat so on that note I you know one thing that always kind of makes me feel like I'm not doing a good job with this podcast is <laughs> I don't read enough anymore I used to read, like, two to three books a week, honestly. I was reading. <sighs> that was my that was my everything, you know. And then life happened, and now I read at a much slower pace. And it's, it's you know, my, my little bit of shame. But um, that's what it is. So I feel like I, I kind of fail in bringing to light or bringing in these, these conversations regarding actual literature. And all of that. So, you know, I kind of wanted to then... I'm trying to work this men mentality of, you know, it is what it is. And I can only do so much, you know. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you guys listen for a reason, right? So, <laughs> I thought this episode would be kind of fun to jump into something that, again, is a conversation starter, and there are plenty of resources about, you know, this this topic around the internet, but I thought I would bring my wonderful opinions into it all. <laughs> and so um, I always tend to find myself most excited when... A TV series or a film, just a series in general, is set to come to an end. 
you know, depending on the particular show or book or film, uh, whatever the case, while I tend to be very, you know, flustered, <laughs> sad <laughs> that it's ending, uh, I, I do find myself really happy, like, when the the that particular media has declared it will end on its own terms because it, it feels like they're more aware of their work, aware of their stories, the characters, and aware when they realize a story can only carry on so far. Uh, what seems to happen much too often is that... Uh, in this particular case, television, uh, it'll drift into one of two, two one of two categories, and you know I, I talk about it all the time: uh, the aimless goal of trajectory. You know, this is where we see shows and even film series or book series just go and go and go and go and go and go and go until. Eventually, it just runs out of steam and things get really tedious and overall unenjoyable uh, as an audience, you know. For me, I personally love AIM. <laughs> I can't really think of a show that has an absolute perfect ending, uh, but I, I hold on now. Uh, I do tend to respect most endings, you know, in one way or another. And in case you haven't noticed, I take in a lot of media. <laughs> you know, it's it's what I'm left with when I work. I tend to always have something on in the background. Usually it's like TV shows because I can just pop it on and let it ride. Uh, it also depends on what I'm working on. I do try to stay within the realm of what I'm doing, like in terms of theme. If I'm working on a piece of like a character Let's go back to the DC universe. Uh, I'm just going to consume all of that, you know? <laughs> um, sometimes I'll get super consumed with podcasts, particularly true crime, uh, when I need something darker and grittier, uh, and I don't feel like only half-heartedly watching something. Anyway, the point is I do watch a lot of TV. So... On that note, I thought today I would talk about a couple series finales that left me either happy or sad. <laughs> because, as you know, my opinion is the most and the only one that matters. I am completely kidding in that. I only seek to entertain. Uh, and I want to be very clear, though. These are not meant to be the only series finales, especially on my radar, uh, that I enjoyed or disliked. It's just these were the ones that were most memorable. And I feel like they really left some kind of narrative for me and made me feel like I have some kind of any kind of authority to talk about them. <laughs> so for this list, I'm going to use a rating system. And in that rating system, I'm going to use a 1 through a 10, 10 being the best or 1 being the worst of the worst. And the 5 is where I'll get a bit more complex in thinking because if you haven't learned by now, I really like to play the devil's advocate. So let's jump into this little list. And I know some of it's going to get repetitive, but like I said, hopefully my thoughts on it are what make it a little bit more unique. So number five, in our countdown of the uh, <laughs> five most interesting series finales, uh, Game of Thrones. 
And I rated it a five, so somewhere right there in the middle. And let's start with the most obvious. I remember getting into Game of Thrones really early into my relationship with Joe. So about a good decade ago. I remember wanting to read the books before um, getting into the series. And this was like just when I think season one or two was out. Um, And (laughs) I was definitely one of those people who liked to read the books before I watched the media. Anyway, so uh, I jumped into George R.R. Martin's books. And believe it or not, I used to read, like I said, I used to read all the time, guys. Um, and, uh, from the get-go, there were a lot of differences from the books to what was on screen, and for the most part, you know, I, I don't think anybody really minded it. Uh, I liked that they aged Danny up a little bit, and, you know, because, let's be real, historical fantasy or not, uh, she was a child, and that was creepy. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, getting into the ending, though, unless you were living under a rock uh, during the time of its airing, the Game of Thrones finale was considered a spectacular failure. The series itself was, I mean, groundbreaking in scale. You know, money and stellar stories and an absolutely phenomenal cast to the point where actual actors... (laughs) retired from acting uh, because their performances were so amazing. And I'm looking at you, Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey. Everything from the costuming to the set design to the languages that wove and, you know, proceeded to portray, all of these factors were what proceeded to portray the narrative. And if you'd read the books, you knew there were, like, major bombshells throughout. And I think fans started getting... A bit antsy at the time, around the time of the Red Wedding, uh, one of the most infuriatingly brilliant moments of the book and the show. Uh, but when Catelyn Stark, when she was brutally killed, uh, most fans knew what they could look forward to, and that was Lady Stoneheart. Uh, when the Brotherhood Without Banners began making more and more impressional appearances in the series, I think we all thought we were going to get a glimpse of the new antagonist, you know. Uh, Catelyn Stark brought back from the dead, seeking vengeance, and then nothing. So, okay. Already a bit of a sour taste in our mouths, but nothing more dragons and beautifully coordinated fights and battle scenes can't solve, right? And, I mean, we were wooed. Again, and uh, the show continued to put out amazing content, and we were we were forgiving of more of its questionable content. and And don't get me wrong, uh, toward the end of the series, there were super satisfying moments. Littlefinger's death, uh, for one, and Sansa rising to power, Brienne of Tarth having her day in the sun, and Arya mastering her skills, and even Danny looking to take the throne once and for all for everything to start looking uh, more hopeful across the continent. But when the finale aired... <laughs> And all that transpired did transpire. We were left in shock and a little bit of terror. Uh, <laughs> Danny was dead. 
you know, Bran was king and uh, there was just a lot of weird points. But uh, let me let me break in here with some rational thinking. Was it really that shocking that that was going to happen? You know, of course, when endings like this happen, there are a slew of remarks and reviews for, you know, they're they're shaming the series for a predictable ending or one that failed the characters we were rooting for. And it's because we, we took it a little personally, you know? Uh, but I mean, honestly, I, I get that there were ways in which the series could have ended on much better notes. I'm not taking away from that. Uh, but you also have to remember, these are people who took the chance and moved beyond the books, you know, past what George R. R. Martin had currently published. Um, he's still actively, actively writing them, you know, so obviously they don't want to ruin the book series, uh, so they have to go in various directions. Uh, to give the writers credit, <laughs> I think they found themselves between a rock and a hard place, and rather than give the audiences exactly what they wanted, which we all anticipated, uh, you know, and that's probably what Martin's aiming to do, is to give us some some kind of semblance of that. Um, they had to resort what made the show so popular in the first place, you know, the fact that everyone in this fictional world is expendable. Uh, the minute in, in the first season when Ned Stark was beheaded... We knew this story was going to evolve, and we got so angry at the writers for taking in, in that same direction toward the end. You know, there's there's really nothing, honestly, out of character for Danny to have wound up following in the Mad King's footsteps. You know, and as for Bran, honestly, like, it doesn't not make sense. What else was he going to do? I mean, honestly, like, looking back, like, what else was he going to do? <laughs> um, of course, we all would have loved to see, you know, Jon or, or Tyrion uh, take the throne, but but such is life, you know. I I just think the series finale, while it, it wasn't the greatest, uh, it really wasn't as bad as the audiences want to, you know, continuously remember it. But again, it's, it's not hard to feel cheated in some way, and I get that wholeheartedly. Um, that's why I put together this list, you know? So I should break in here and something I definitely should have brought up at the top of the show. Uh, spoilers, spoilers abound. I am not going to feel bad about Game of Thrones because it has been out for a very long time. And if you have managed to avoid spoilers for up to this point, then you know what? I don't know what to tell you. You deserve a medal. Uh, but from here forward, uh, I am going to just assume everything I bring up is going to be, uh, spoiler ridden and otherwise I couldn't have been able to write this list. And honestly, I don't want to hem and haw around these subjects. So the next in my list is number four, the magicians, <laughs> my favorite. Uh, and I rate that one a 10, uh, the Magicians is another book-to-screen adaptation, which, again, it, it has minor changes. You know, the, the cast is aged up also and uh, making it more ideal. Uh, but I'm not going to get into the book series, and instead I'm just going to focus on the show. So if you've never seen the show, which I hope you have at this point, and if you're still watching watching it, you know, again, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Um, 
the series follows Quentin Coldwater and his group of friends uh, and allies as they navigate both a uh, magic on Earth and magic in what was once thought to be a fictional realm called Fillory. It's a grown-up version of plenty of fantasy books we we had as kids, you know, from Narnia to Harry Potter, so on and so forth. And it tackles a lot of aspects that, honestly, they they aren't so far from a real-life narrative. You know, it, my favorite is a, a problematic Arthur who does terrible things, but his work is still meaningful, you know? Fun, fun. Anyway, uh, <laughs> by problematic, I mean, like, like the worst of the worst, but okay. Uh, interesting. Anyways, the series does a beautiful job of navigating a lot of issues faced throughout all of our lives, uh, from sexual exploration and identity to death to, you know, the morals of magic, uh, good versus evil, and then there's even musical episodes. And very few shows do musical episodes well, but The Magicians, they did it, did it just right, you know. It is a phenomenal show with a phenomenal fan base because the characters and the stories, no matter how outlandish, they're like captivatingly relatable in ways, you know, we aren't always like sure or aware of it until we've kind of sat and thought on it uh, for a while. And for a lot of people, it's easy to to instantly relate with Quentin. You know, he's just this depressed guy who genuinely has never quite felt of this world you know anyway excellent excellent show Uh, I cannot emphasize how amazing this show is so again spoilers spoilers um by the end of the fourth season the the show ran for five seasons but by the the end of the fourth season Quentin dies (laughs) and I hope if you haven't watched it and you're thinking about it still please just go for it okay Uh, In his death, he does what heroes always do, and he, you know, sacrifices himself. In his final act, he winds up in the underworld, greeted by old friend slash nemesis, Penny, who's ready to help him move on to his final resting place in the afterlife. Personally, guys, there will never be a scene so monumentally, heart-wrenchingly perfect as the one that played out during this this part of the series, you know, in his act of sacrificing himself to save all the people he loved, you know, Quentin, he poses the question in the underworld, uh, secrets taken to your grave uh, is the thing. And, you know, he ponders, did, did I do it on purpose because of my past suicidal ideation? Or did I do it because I genuinely wanted to save, you know, the world, essentially, my friends, you know, people I love. Um, so Penny brings Quentin back to the surface to see his friends one last time, and they have their own small mo- uh, memorial wherein they sing a beautifully somber take on uh, Take On Me. I mean, uh, yeah, Take On Me. And, uh, oh, my God, uh, this the scene, it just kills me. I can't hear Take On Me anymore without wanting to cry. Um, so without getting into the monumental, (laughs) um, wonder of the entire scene and series, uh, Quentin ultimately realizes, with the help of Penny, uh, that he 
he did make a choice, and he left an impact on his friends in ways that were beyond any words or expression or just measure in general. So Quentin is then able to move forward, and we say goodbye to him. So when The Magicians ended in the fifth season, uh, it was perfect. While the show had moved away from, you know, Quentin as its main protagonist, even even before his death, um, they knew they had to tread waters with caution. You know, Quentin was a beloved character and an instigator to a large amount of the stories throughout the series. It's, it's not to say the stories weren't otherwise successful or just as important either, but the writers seemed to know they didn't want to overexert the premise. So they gave the show a nice little bow while also spending a large amount of the final season coping with the loss of Quentin, you know, making sure his memory was well-preserved while also expanding on the fact that it was okay to seek joy again um, and appreciate all, all that a person brought you in your life. So by the end of the final season, we saw a new essentially untainted fillery uh, being reborn and characters we love getting a new chance in this new world. Uh, we saw them all love each other with such deep care and even respect. And while, of course, uh, seeing the series end, it was honestly a beautiful and perfect way to bring the stories to an end. And one thing I think uh, that was truly generous of the writers and, and here's where I'm really going to out myself, but um, the writers seem to understand the love the fans have the, for, for this show. Uh, in, in doing so, they kept the finale just open enough for fans to further speculate with fan art and fan fiction. And I think that, I don't know, I just, I feel like there was a knowingness there. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up on my list, number three, Dexter, New Blood, and I rated it an eight. <laughs> I know I'm treading my own precarious waters here by bringing this one up, since it's what I wrote about uh, in my review for the uh, most recent issue of the magazine, but I couldn't not talk about it, and I'll try to give this one a quick rundown because I really go on and on and on about it in the review, and I don't want to exhaust your, your poor ears. Uh, if you watch Dexter, you know that the ending should be somewhere on the list, too, uh, so I'll give it a combined effort and rate that one around a three, honestly. I'm not that, you know... Anyway, so Dexter New Blood picks up 10 years after the events of the original series that saw Dexter Morgan killing his sister and dumping her body in the ocean before riding into the eye of a storm only to wind up in uh, logging country as a lumberjack in the Pacific Northwest. So in New Blood, uh, we find Dexter in New York in a rural town living a pretty great existence, honestly, without his dark passenger. You know, the show the show wouldn't be worth putting on air if Dexter didn't wind up returning to his old deeds, so he finds a new reason to kill once more, and uh, that one act is what drives the season forward. <laughs> so Dexter is also reunited with his teenage son, Harrison, who he had left behind 10 years ago. Uh, we get some great father-son tension and rebuilding, and Dexter taking notice to Harrison experiencing his own uh, dark tendencies. And again, I, I really get into it in the review, so I'm going to keep it short and, and honestly just encourage you to read it, because again, I, I really get into it. Um, and as I say in the review, while a lot of fans were absolute 
absolutely livid with the ending, calling it predictable and and even trite. You know, I don't know. I just just because something is predictable doesn't mean it's bad. You know, I get we want creative thinking. Don't get me wrong, but I think by grounding the reality of the events in the season, it just kind of made it even that more much more devastating and entertaining. So. Just give it a shot with uh, an open mind, is all I'm saying. And number two on my list is Sons of Anarchy. And I give that one a one. (laughs) So I got really into Sons of Anarchy after after it had already aired. I was in beauty school and, you know, I was, like, super depressed. And, honestly, I just needed an escape. So I got swept up in it after the fact. Uh, The show itself is a great one that really explores the dynamics of biker gangs and what we know. Sorry, biker clubs. uh, About what we know. And it's got a stellar cast. You know, that they're never not entertaining. And to this day... I still register, like, and and I don't mean this as any disrespect to the actors, but it's like I can't not refer to them as their characters because I just love them so much. Okay, so anyway, uh, it, it was hard not to fall in love with them is all I'm saying. And the series. So, and it's truly one of my favorite concepts wherein writers can take these bad characters and make the audience's love them and root for them you know the same can be even said for like Dexter uh like I mentioned before and I think it's just a clever manipulation to the audience you know Jax Teller was honestly not the greatest dude (laughs) you know uh none of these characters were it 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 got to be easy to like loathe Gemma and Clay uh but there was always an entertaining reason why we, and we, we just couldn't let them go, you know? Uh, but they're... Anyway, it's been, it's been a while since... That's why I'm, like, kind of stumbling over my words because it's been a while since I've watched the finale, uh, the show in general. And I know there are aspects, I do know this, that haven't aged well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, honestly, they, they probably would do better to change some of it, you know, well, I love Walton Goggins, uh, but his, his, you know, being cast as Venus was probably not the greatest, uh, but the more you know, insert the music here, anyway, I will never forget the ending, the series aired for about seven, yeah, seven seasons, (laughs) and honestly, probably it should have ended somewhere around three or four, Uh, Right when Opie died, honestly. That's just my opinion. (laughs) But whatever. And our guys just kept, like, they just kept getting into worse and worse territory and situations. And just when you think things cannot get any worse, they just managed to make it consistently more terrible for them all. Uh, And, of course, you know, we're we're rooting for them uh, because we've we've been with them for so long and we want to see things tied up in another pretty bow. And in a way, they are, you know, and it just dragged, you know. It it dragged on and on and on, and I think that's what, you know, I wound up most frustrated with, 
they they're just there seemed to be a point reached and I can't quite put my finger on it uh but there was a point where it just got to feel like they didn't know where they were heading with what they were writing you know and I want to say, you know, I think Kurt Sutter actually talked about that and about how he wrote the series with that kind of aimless direction, especially as it like kept getting renewed and stuff. Uh, but don't quote me on that because I honestly can't remember. And uh, sorry. Um, the point is, it just got more and more tedious to watch and go through these experiences with these characters. And by the time... The finale uh, aired in the final season (laughs) in general. It kind of felt like like a thank goodness, you know, Uh, only because you didn't want to see any more of these characters suffer uh, anymore. And the end of the show, spoilers, features our lead, Jax, after having killed his mother. And basically, uh, he's completely bleeped. Uh, in terms of not getting out of his current situation. (laughs) So he takes it upon himself to load up on his dead dad's bike. And uh, remember, you know, the show's based off of Hamlet. Uh, And he rides off into an 18-wheeler. Not just any 18-wheeler, but a truck belonging to a character we had previously met on the show, cameoed by Michael Chiklis. Uh, Now... What bothers me the most is that, now look, we talk all day long about trigger warning suicide in both real life and in fiction, and now obviously the show had, it had to finish on a Shakespearean note, like, duh. Um, I get it, but like, did Jax really, like, I think about this more often than I should, and it really upsets me that I still spend so much time on it, but, like, did he really have to ruin one last innocent person's life? You know, like, dude, that poor truck driver will never be the same. He didn't know that dude was doing it on purpose, you know? He didn't know that it was his intention. He was just genuinely... You know, he just thought he genuinely hit and killed someone in what he thought was a brutal accident, you know? And I know it's a fictional world, but still, okay? And we can appreciate the way it was shot in the amazing song by White Buffalo that still makes me cry because I'm a little baby. But I don't know, just to this day, I still get so irate when I think about it. You know, there are a million other ways that he could have done it you know even in a quote-unquote symbolic you know as as riding off on his dad's bike but come on like I don't know I just that sits with me and it's annoying and finally and I need to put forward a major trigger warning because this one is definitely a newer entry that only just aired a couple weeks ago. Um, So if you haven't watched through the end to Killing Eve, please just turn me off now. Just silence everything because I get into it. All right. So again, spoilers. Last warning. Turn it off. Killing Eve, number one, and it is rated a 
good, hearty, solid one. I wish I could not even rate it, but it has to be on here. Um, okay. Killing Eve is a show that resonates for a lot of people, especially a lot of queer people. Uh, when it first came to air, it was so different than a lot of media out there. And it was a lot of fun with a lot of interesting juxtaposition. And, you know, it introduced a lot of questions. And while it's based off of the Luke Jennings Villanelle novels, it did kind of splinter away from its source content. And that's fine. You know, we're all fine with that. It happens. Uh, the mastermind Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Bridge, <laughs> I always want to say Phoebe Bridgers, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, a totally different person, uh, left the series after its second season, and that is where things started to get a little peculiar, if you will. Seasons one and two were perfection. They were absolute perfection. During season one, you know, as we're just getting to know and love the cast of interesting characters, their, their magnetism is so hard to deny. You know, you've got Villanelle. She's cold and very, very murdery, uh, but also funny and silly. And then you've got Eve, who's questioning her entire identity. And it's, it's through the distance and obsession of and with each other um, that they're able to learn more about themselves and who they are. They're brought together in fun and fascinating and interesting and, and tragic ways. And it's it's cat and mouse and it's fun and it's sexy and it's curious and it's violent. And it's, it's not all that healthy, admittedly. Um, but it was impossible not to root for both of them because... Sorry, guys, I have to. There's something about it that just makes me <sighs> sigh. <laughs> If you watch the show, you'd get that. Anyway, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot about the show in its entirety that wasn't just the best. You know, Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh are, God, are they perfect. Uh, and they just have such amazing chemistry. You know, the music, Unloved, is iconic because of the show. And the show is iconic because of Unloved, the music featured throughout the series. Um the sets and the scenery and the filming locations, the characters, everything about it is hypnotic and just overall a masterpiece until the final season. And it seemed to happen in a blur, honestly. And it it was just really confusing to watch. And honestly, it started getting like painfully repetitive. Uh, like I said, season season one was all about the intrigue and the mystery, the the what if of it all. Season two was the the wonder of the unlikely pairing, and it was just as fun and delightful seeing Eve and Villanelle team up and uh, for both seasons to and, and for them both to end with directed violence at each other. You know, each of them physically wounding the other. It it just it worked. And it told us all we needed to know about these characters and who they were and what was so appealing about them. We wanted we wanted them to find themselves in each other. And yes, dang it, I just wanted them to go to Alaska together. 
All right. Uh, season three sees them trying to figure out life without, you know, around each other. Villanelle deals with her mommy and family issues. Uh, Eve figures out her marriage issues. Um, and we get the background of Villanelle's upbringing and how she's handling it all. Uh, by the time season four rolls around, you know, and again, this is the case where, you know, they said that they were going to they were going to end the show after season four. So I was like, OK, good. You know, they're they're going to that means they know how they want to end this. They want to give it that beautiful little bow. Um, you kind of start anticipating that everything is is just finally going to come together, you know, Um but it feels like every aspect of season four, the characters, their stories, all of the development, everything, it just feels completely separate. You know, like everything just felt like oil and vinegar. Everything. Um, and this, it, it could have worked for an episode or two as it kind of found its footing. Uh, in telling the narrative of season four. Uh, but it just, it didn't unfold in any way that fleshed the story out in a way that was smooth or organic. Like, yes, we got a lot of tie-up regarding the 12, but even then, like, it it, it was a, a shut case that was ultimately a, you don't need to know anymore. You know, and that's fine, but it just, ugh, um... The story story had interesting ways with how it handled its queer baiting. Um, And we kind of just held our breaths, you know? And when everything came to a head in the final episode, it just felt so unrewarding and, like, you know, frustrating. Before watching it, I asked Joe, I was like, could you, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen by the time this is over? Am I going to be devastated or am I going to be happy? And he was like, it doesn't really matter. You're going to be crying. And he was right. Um, I don't think I have ever watched anything that just literally made my jaw drop, you know, for, and it was like minutes. Like I could not fathom like what these writers had done, uh, and, and after four seasons of anticipation with little to no payoff, you know, we were finally granted Villanelle and Eve reaching the destination of each other and accepting it only to have it end on a barrier gauge trope. And that is just honestly offensive. Like, it's brutally offensive. And and it's just frustrating, you know, not only that and... and you know, all, all by now, like, that I really, really, really do try to give things a full 360. And I really try to see the the good and the, the okay, even, you know, where I can see where, where the writers or the artists behind, you know, where it was kind of coming from, why they made these decisions. But it just felt like there was no, no logic behind it um you know and and it just it sucks like it really sucks and I know it probably is annoying how not even emotional just how like impassioned I am over it but you guys like just 
brutal. Uh, fortunately, though, the uh, author of the Villanelle series, the 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 novel, the novellas, novels, uh, Luke Jennings, he has stepped forward and uh, he's fully on the side of the fans, and he admits that this is not how Villanelle's story ends. Uh, so at least we have that, and hopefully he kind of gives us something. Um, so yeah, so the, that's my little list. I do want to jump in with some honorable mentions and I kind of had to put them on here after killing Eve (laughs) because, uh, there's a lot more on that note. So worth mentioning is Hannibal, Brian Fuller's take on, uh, Hannibal Lecter, you know, was, Excellent. You know, it was probably one of the most perfect ways to tell a story and romanticize it with such a unique vision. And, you know, I use terms like queer baiting and whatnot throughout this episode and bury your gaze. Now, where Killing Eve and Hannibal, because they are slightly, slightly similar in theme, you know, you have two people who are quote unquote very different and they come together for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just gay, you know, <laughs> it's just wonderful, wonderful, uh, you know, gayness. Um, but it's, it's a lot deeper than that. You know, it's a lot deeper than a typical kind of romance or anything like that. Like I said, I'm not here to, you know, pretend like, oh, Hannibal and Will Graham are the epitome of a healthy uh, romantic courtship. It, no. God, no. Same with Villanelle and Eve. In a fantastical, fictitious world, it works. Real life, no. Y'all need to run as far away from each other as possible. But like I said, they do kind of follow similar similar paths in very distinct different ways but you know again the the cat and mouse the uh forbidden I don't want to say romance but that forbiddenness of each other you know and the way Hannibal ended <clears throat> because even today fans are really hoping for a resurgence in the series you know I, I don't think it's going to happen but yeah I would totally be here for it um, but the way it ended, you know, Hannibal and Will, the, the, you know, protagonist, antagonist, protagonist, uh, <laughs> these, these very conflicted characters, they wind up together at last and they kill together in this very impassioned, beautiful scene. They kill a single person. Uh, it's where we come in with the red dragon, uh, storyline and, Hannibal had pretty much concocted this escape plan, you know, for for him and Will, so to speak. I mean, it, anyway, uh, so we get this moment and they're embracing and, you know, you you feel this like almost this this tightening where you're like, yes. And then Will plunges them both off of the cliff and we can assume based off of what we've seen they're both dead but I don't think obviously they're not Um, but first of all 
you had the phenomenal soundtrack playing for that scene. Um, but it was, it, it, it kind of teetered away from the concept of the, the queer baiting. And I mean, it was a little queer baity, but away from the barrier gaze trope because it wasn't about, I don't know. I need to think more on that, but I do still think about that, that finale and it was, it was impactful. You know, it was very beautifully shot, admittedly. Like, gorgeous, gorgeous shot. Um, and also, on the note of uh, Killing Eve as well, Fleabag. <laughs> this is one you will find on any, like, top ten list of best endings. Again, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, who wrote Fleabag, starred in it. She is hilarious, delightful. The show is just great please watch it if you haven't the ending is as perfect as the best you can get you know what I mean like it it only ran for two seasons that was as far as she wanted to take it she didn't want to ring it out and you know beat any dead horses like she just knew like nope two seasons and we're gonna tell this story and that's that you know and it just it's the ideal, the ideal format, you know what I mean? Where it's like the writers just know and it, oh, it's so rewarding. So I hope that that was a fun episode for you because it was a lot of fun for me to uh, kind of uh, address some of it and, and conceptualize and think on because, again, I watch far too much TV. So... Remember that next week is uh, should be the review, assuming I can get through the entire magazine uh, in a week. Uh, but as of now, the plan is to have it to you next week. Um, until then, you can find us at theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at the World of Myth bits. I very much appreciate you for listening. So until next time. Oh, 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 oh,